0: Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. One of the questions about our journey with Christ is, uh, is it about the destination or is it about the process of the journey? There's a place for the destination, if someone, if people, sometimes people say the journey is the destination, and there's truth to that, but that almost implies that the destination doesn't matter, as if we are just sort of wandering aimlessly around and where we, and there's no, there's no point that we're moving toward, and, and I don't think that's true. I think scripture is very clear that we are moving toward something important. But I also think that we can get so focused on the destination that we miss what's going on in the journey. Because if we're just focused on the destination, then all we're going to be thinking about is the destination, how fast we can get there, how, how, how much we can get out of the way in order to get there, and everything that's going on while we're in the process of getting there gets tossed aside, And I think when we read the scriptures, while there is a destination, what we find is that what God wants us to focus on is not so much the destination as it is the relationship of the journey. And I think there is something of that in Leviticus 23. Now, you might be scratching your head saying, well, I don't get that. Well, let me just walk you through that a little bit. Leviticus 23, it says to us that God says to the people, when you enter the land of Canaan, and here's what you need to do. There is an implication in that, that the people will be tempted to lose focus. And you and I are tempted to lose focus too. They get so focused on getting into the land and arriving that there is this sense in which once they've arrived, they're done. And so God sets up these festivals to remind them that they're not done, that they, even though they have physically come to the place that God has promised them, the journey hasn't ended. The journey continues. And so he prays, he, he establishes all of these different festivals for the people to come and, and to, to be reminded of the truth because they easily forget, as you and I do. And the festivals are what the writer says are holy assemblies. God says to Moses, give these instructions to the people, and they're to come together. They are holy assemblies. And the reason they're holy assemblies is because they are something that is instituted of God to, draw, to help them see God and to be changed by God. It's an opportunity for them to encounter the holy God and to find out, to be reminded who he is And in the process of being reminded who God is, they're reminded who they are as God's people. And so they come together for these festivals. There's something about the festivals that are not, it's not just about what they do when they get there. But God also tells the people in a variety of places throughout the Old Testament that they are to pilgrimage to these festivals. The things that they're supposed to do as a pilgrimage, and there's something significant about that. For one thing, as one scholar says, that sets Israel apart from the way all the other nations around them celebrate their festivals. There's no idea of a pilgrimage that everybody comes together to wherever the tabernacle is and ultimately wherever the temple is, that everybody comes together these moments because they be the pilgrimage means that these moments become communal and they're about how we belong to each other and how important that is they're also pedagogical when you think about the journey from galilee all the way down to jerusalem there's a lot of time the family's walking together and they're talking together and you can imagine all the children saying why are we doing this And every time they do it, it's an opportunity to say, here's why we do it. What's interesting about teaching, children particularly, but teaching in any venue is, if you've ever taught, and I've learned this myself, I've heard this from hundreds of people through the years of my life, that you always learn more when you teach, probably, than the people who you're teaching. And so you think about the pedagogical nature of this pilgrimage as they're walking along, every single adult has to think to themselves, why are we doing this? What is this about? As they answer the question. And the other thing about the pilgrimage and about the festivals is that they are engaging with nature. And, and they, are, they are reminding the people, and particularly uh, when you get to the, the Feast of Tabernacles where they live outside for a week in little lean-tos, they are reminded about nature being gods. They're reminded that, that this, they don't worship nature but they worship the Lord of nature. All of these festivals, all of these things are are a means to remind the people, to bring them face to face with who God is, the essence of who God is. And that's why I think the most apropos road sign for what Leviticus 23 is talking about and this, this part of the journey is the sign that says, Scenic Overlook. Now, I don't know if you pay any attention to scenic overlooks. I tend not to because I tend to be a destination kind of person rather than a journey kind of person. And, but scenic overlooks are the kinds of things that are about beauty. You don't do anything at a scenic overlook except look, right? I mean, just step out and you look. Whatever it is, whatever there is to look at, mountains, rivers, lakes, whatever it is, you, you, you step out and, and you look. It doesn't, it's not doing anything other than just being there. And you're really not doing anything other than just looking at it, observing it. But there is, and there's nothing pragmatic about a scenic overlook. But there, are, there is something inspirational about a scenic overlook. There is something about standing at the, at, in the majesty of God's creation and being inspired. It's hard to put it into words. You can't say, oh, I checked off a list. You're just there letting it inspire you with its beauty. I'm not sure we take that beauty seriously enough, as much as God does. But a scenic overlook is just seeing the beauty and being inspired by it. And I think there is something about that in the festivals that God is calling the people to. Yes, they're doing things, they're sacrificing, they're getting together, but the biggest part of it is to be reminded of the beauty of who God is. The kind of God He is. The things that God has done to prove that. One of the things about the Israelite festivals is that they're not tied to the the calendar of nature like all the other pagan people around them. Their festivals are tied to the things that God has done for them and that God continues to do for them. And that's why I think there's something about the scenic overlook when you combine it with the festivals that brings us to the, what John Wesley and others call the means of grace. Some people refer to them as spiritual disciplines. We're basically talking about the same thing. But the thing about the means, we got like, I like the term means of grace because spiritual disciplines can, can become this is something I do. Whereas the means of grace is this is something God has given me a blessing to be able to participate in with him. They are are ways in which we experience the grace of God that we cannot experience without them. And Wesley divided them up into works of of piety and works of mercy. Talked about some of them are are individual, some of them are communal. There are these things that we do, these these things that, that we engage in with God to see Him more clearly in all of His beauty and His glory reading the Scripture, meditating on the Scripture, studying the Scripture, praying to God and all the different facets of that, taking time for silence and solitude and fasting, and even going out and helping people in need. All of these things, even though some of them may be action-oriented, all of them are a means for us to see the way God sees and to see God as He is. I find it fascinating that in the middle of this talk about celebrations and festivals... There is, a, verse 22, says to Moses says to them in verse 22, he says, When you harvest the crops of your land, don't harvest the grain along the edges of your field, and don't pick up what the harvesters drop. Leave it for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. He's saying, even as you practice this, you're learning about who I am about this God who loves to bless, who loves to give, who loves to help people who are vulnerable and needy. This is the kind of God He is. And sometimes we miss that because we're so intent on the destination. Now, I think that there are some, you know, there are some misconceptions about the means of grace. One of them is that they are optional for us. And I think they're only optional if we want our journey to be devoid of the joy of Christ. There are some cautions about scenic overlooks. And I think that this misconception is we say, well, I don't need to practice those. I'm good. We can take that mindset, but we'll miss out on on learning and experiencing and being inspired by the beauty of God. We'll miss it. Part of the reason we feel that way is because we're so intent on what's relevant to us when you think about the means of grace. What's one of the things that we typically say, did I get anything out of that? This kind of mindset about the means of grace is not looking for what can I get out of it, but rather, how can I see more of who God is? And it's a big difference, different mindset. What's interesting is that when we begin to practice the means of grace, we begin to see who God is. And when you begin to understand the beauty of God, you begin to understand the beauty of who we are created in God's image. His children. Craig Barnes says that when he was a first-year student at Princeton Theological Seminary, he said they had a professor who walked in one day and said to them, you ought to get up every morning and give thanks that you are unnecessary. And they all sat back and went, what? That can't be right. And he said, you know, I mean, I understand I'm not irreplaceable, but we ought to be necessary Right? We ought to to have some purpose here. And the professor said to them, No, you're too important to be necessary. You deserve to be loved. Because if you're necessary and you're only if you're only important because you're necessary, then you become unimportant when you're no longer necessary. But if you're loved, just for who you are, you're just loved. You're just loved. And we need to see that image of God who loves us as his children. We're not necessary to him. We're loved by him. And we miss that if we don't engage ourselves in scenic overlooks of the means of grace. But I think there's another misconception that says that I can practice the means of grace without really being passionately engaged with them. Isn't that the problem that Israel eventually comes to? They go through the motions of it and don't really mean it. That's caused a lot of people the church through the centuries to say, well, the problem is the rituals, so let's just get rid of all the sacred rituals. But God did not say that to Israel. He says, yeah, I want you to do it with your heart and with your passion. Now, he does say through the prophet Malachi, I'm sick and tired of all of your, your festivals. I just want you to stop bringing sacrifices because what you're bringing me are animals that are lame and, and sickly and animals you don't want in the first place. But what God ends up saying is, what I really want is for you to come to do this and to mean it with all of your heart. I mean, you can stop at every scenic overlook you come to, but if you stand there and don't pay any attention to what you're looking at, what are you doing? If you stand there with your eyes closed, what? how is it going to inspire you? We have to engage with it. We have to look at it. We have to see it. We have to want to see it. Have you ever been to a place that people say is so awesome, and you walk in and you're like, I just don't get it? There's something in us that hasn't come prepared to see it, whereas other people have come and they're ready to see it. And in order to practice the means of grace, the way God has established them, the way God calls Israel to, there has to be a want to, a desire to see God and to let God speak to us any way he wants to. And that may mean that when we walk away, we don't feel anything. And that's okay. We were with God. And I have learned that when I walk away and I don't feel anything, if I really was engaged and I still didn't come away feeling anything or sensing anything, usually a day or two later it hits me. Oh, that's what God was saying. It's engagement with all that we are. That's that's the journey with Christ. So many people want to, to get to the destination because that looks really appealing, but they really don't want to walk with Christ. And the problem is, if we don't want to walk with Christ, we're never going to get to the destination. We certainly aren't going to experience the joy of the journey with Him. Here's what's fascinating to me. When... When we begin to see God in all of his beauty, as the God who loves to bless, as the God who loves to give, as the God who creates us and calls us to himself, so much so does he want us that he sends Christ. When we begin to see that more clearly, then we begin to see the beauty of who we are as God's loved creation. And when that happens, it changes our mindset about everybody else too. Because we aren't fighting to be loved, we aren't struggling to make sure people see how great we are, we can give ourselves away because we know we are God's children, and we know that we are children of our loving Heavenly Father, and we can see people, and we can reveal Christ to them as He is. I mean, how's anybody gonna know who Jesus is if they don't see Jesus in the people who say they follow Jesus? And the question for us is, what are they seeing in us? Are they seeing a God who who is vengeful? Are they seeing a God who they they don't want to have anything to do with? Are they seeing the God of truth and justice that comes from a heart of love and grace and mercy? I love the the children's story today. I mean, what a great picture of of grace. And it doesn't mean that when we encounter God that all we're going to see is bright lights and and beautiful things. Sometimes God challenges us. Sometimes God confronts us. But it's always because he loves us. And that's what everybody else needs to see and hear and understand about who God is, but they will never see that God in us if we are engaged with Him. And that means we have to take some time to stop and look and passionately journey with Him. You know, come to this table this morning. And at this table, we see the essence of who Jesus is, who God is. This God who loves us so much, this God who desires relationship with us so deeply that He becomes one of us to restore us and redeem us. You know, the thing about scenic overlooks is that sometimes when all you're thinking about is the destination, is they feel like a waste of time. And sometimes the means of grace might feel like a waste of time. But if we are engaging God in those moments, it is never a waste to see the beauty of who God is and the beauty of who we are as His creatures and the beauty of the world that God loves. I think all of that comes together in this table, in the love and grace of Jesus Christ, who went to the cross for you and for me. Holy Father, we thank you for your gracious mercy to us. Thank you for your grace that that invites us to stop and to see you for who you are and to see ourselves and others as you see us. Father, we pray that your anointing and blessing will rest upon the bread and the cup. That as we eat and drink, we may know the power of the risen Christ in us and the grace of Christ in us, that we might behold the beauty of who you are. In his name we pray, amen.